Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So what age did you discover, or maybe that you would make, a great criminal? Okay, so for me, it was around third or fourth grade. You see, my teacher would always interrupt me in class. I came there every day ready to socialize, ready to meet people. I mean, I had my own things I needed to do every day when I went to school. And for some reason, the teacher came with her own agenda, with her own plan. And we would consistently clash. And she had the audacity to tell me I was being disruptive. But I didn't agree. I thought she was being disruptive to my agenda. And so she decided to weigh in and and get my mom involved in the matter. So thankfully, this was before email. She sent home a letter and said, please have your mom sign the letter. And I said, of course. So I took the letter home and I read and I said, there's no way my mom's signing this letter. So I did what any third or fourth grader does. I forged my mom's signature. Y'all were doing that at that age too, right? So I forged my mom's signature, no problem, and took it back to class, and that was that. And what was interesting is even after that, she continued to disrupt me in class. And what she couldn't believe is that my behavior hadn't changed, even though my mom was supposed to have weighed in on the subject. So she took the next step and decided to call my mom and have a parent-teacher conference. My mom said, do you know what's about? I was like, I don't have a clue. (laughs) What I remember next is me there again, once again, minding my own business, playing organ trail, making sure I didn't get typhoid. Y'all remember that? Yeah, some of us do, okay. I remember the parent-teacher conference. My teacher and my mom were in the back. I was there playing organ trail, minding my own business. And then I heard my mom's deep voice come out. My full name, again, once again, I was the only Brian in the room. I'm not too sure why she has to do that. But all of my name came out, and I just looked back, and she said, did you? And she kind of turned around and mind my own business, started playing organ show once again. Now, I don't remember what happened after that, except if you fast forward probably an hour or so, I remember running to my room to put on as many layers of pants as I possibly could. And I remember her walking in that room with the orange spatula. Now, the orange spatula, I had a love and hate relationship with it. It's what my mom used to make delicious grilled cheese and whipped me with, right? I mean, it had both things. And I remember her coming to me and grabbing me and then discovering right away that I had several layers of pants. It was that day my bare bottom met an orange spatula. See, it turns out my mom was on my teacher's side. Turns out my mom thought I needed to be disciplined for my actions. We're not going to talk about spanking and what your, you know, thoughts are and how, what people do about that, but I can just tell you this much. I never signed my mom's name again. I bet we all remember being disciplined as a child, don't we? That one big time, that 
maybe we had to go get the switch and we got the small switch just to find out that's not a good idea. It gets worse that way, right? So we all have been disciplined, but have you ever thought about or ever considered that God disciplines you? You ever thought that God's that involved in your life? Have you ever thought that maybe God is shaking up your life, doing something in your life to get your attention? Did you even know or think that that was possible? See, that's what we're going to learn about this morning. We're going to talk about the journey of discipline. You see, we're continuing where we left off in Hebrews last week. The people of, that he's writing to have experienced a tremendous amount of hardship, a tremendous amount of persecution, and their faith is rattled. You see, it's not easy to be a Jesus follower when the culture around you is against your faith or against your morality and beliefs. And so throughout the letter, he's warning the church constantly the dangers of falling away, the dangers of walking away from the faith. He's constantly talking about it. And remember last week we saw that he pointed them in Hebrews chapter 11, he pointed them to the heroes of the faith, the people who faced an incredible amount of things, but yet continued on. Then he pointed us to Jesus who endured the cross at the hands of sinners. Then he says this in verse four, he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. See, the people here are exhausted. They've become Christian and life hasn't turned out to be the way they thought it would be. You ever been worn out by life? You ever been beat up by sin? You ever been beat up and just torn apart at what maybe other people's sin has done to you? You ever struggled? But we all have. And he says in that, I know what you're tempted to do. And he warns them, and he's talking about the struggle, about the dangers of apostasy. Now, apostasy is walking away from the faith, turning your back on the faith. You see, again, he's spoken about this several times, and people were denouncing Jesus, or worse yet, they're trying to be Christians but continue to live their old lifestyle. Doesn't work very well, does it? We don't have the time. Uh, to dive into that really deep. But what we do see is there's absolute danger, and he repeats himself over and over in this book, the grave danger of walking away from our faith and our faith family. He makes it very clear that it's not okay, and he makes it very clear that it's not gonna work out the way you envision. It's not gonna bring good. It's not gonna be positive. Things aren't gonna go the way you think there will be consequences. And then he says, you haven't even resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And this is a boxing metaphor. And he's talking about like, you're in the ring with sin. You're in the ring dealing with this stuff and it's blow for blow and it's hard and it's a struggle. But giving into that's not going to be better. And you see, he's not being insensitive, but what he's saying is, look, you haven't shed blood yet. Yeah, we know you're tired. We know you're exhausted, but but you haven't been beaten yet. You ha- you're not on the cross yet. I mean, you haven't endured that much to which we'd go, well, he's being insensitive, isn't he? What about their feelings? What about the, the insides? He's, he's not being insensitive. What this is, this is a picture of, well, think about this. You have children, have had children or no children, right? Everybody knows a child. Yeah, okay. You want to care and you want to be sensitive and you want to help them develop and you want to be nice. But if they're about to run in the street and get hit by a bus, 
all that goes out the window. You're direct. You're to the point. You're saying there's danger. Stop. And that's what he's getting at. Look, what you're struggling with, yeah, I know it's hard. I know it's a big deal. But look, you're not getting beat yet. It, it could be far worse. Don't, don't walk away. You see, one of the great mysterious things about our faith and one of the most shocking things, especially for Americans, is to understand that suffering isn't wrong. We live in a society and a culture where we want suffering to be eliminated. We want to medicate it and eradicate it from our lives. But biblically, we're told that suffering brings triumph. It's very hard to understand. When it does what it needs to do, suffering does something in us. Contrary to popular belief, suffering has a purpose. Pain has a purpose. Think about it. Do you know pain's not a bad thing? You know this. While none of us want to be in pain, pain is actually a warning that something bad is going on. When we feel that physical pain, we know that something needs to be attended to. For instance, years ago, I had a little toothache. Y'all ever had just a little minor toothache and then ignore it? Said, yeah, it only bothers me when I drink cold stuff, so I'll just drink out of the other side of my mouth. You're laughing, because how long does that work? Right, then eventually, if you don't deal with that pain, if you don't deal with that problem, it gets worse and worse and worse till that's the only thing you can think about. Pain's just the symptom. The problem was something completely different. Pain warns us. You see, I don't like it any more than you do, but what we see repeatedly through the Bible is that God works through pain and suffering. That suffering actually brings triumph in your life. Think about the suffering of the cross. You wouldn't see the triumph of the resurrection without the suffering of the cross. Now, the author goes on to expound suffering just a bit. And this, question, this section doesn't answer all the questions you and I have about pain and suffering. Absolutely doesn't. But it answers one. It tells us to look at it a certain way. Here's what he says. He says, and have you, excuse me, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? Remember, this is supposed to be an encouragement. It doesn't sound like it, but it's supposed to be. Encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. He says, have you forgotten the encouragement that God does discipline his children? Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't be tempted to run away when it gets difficult. You see, the loose heart's what I want you to see. The loose heart, they want to give up. They want to quit. They want to walk away. They said, this is too much. This is too painful. This is too difficult. I don't want to go through this. So we think there's another option. We think there's a better way. The Lord will rebuke us. The Lord will correct us. But we don't want to be corrected, do we? We don't want to be disciplined, do we? See, what comes to my mind is when I finally had enough of that woman disciplining me. Talking about my mama, right? There was this one day. That's how I thought about it. I said, I am done. I am tired of what she's doing. I don't like it anymore. I don't remember what I did wrong, probably school or something like that. And I remember I said, I'm leaving. I was probably like 11 years old. 
I said, I'm leaving, I'm done, I'm gonna go do my own thing. So after I was grounded to my room, I remember grabbing my backpack. It was cold outside, it was raining, but I was done. And I remember looking out the front of my window, good thing we lived in a one-story house. I climbed out the front of my house, and like a ninja, remember, because your parents used to keep the blinds open, see outside, like a ninja, I scaled the side of my house so she couldn't see me, and I ran to the edge of the woods. And I realized I didn't have anywhere to go. So I ran back, like a ninja, back to the front of my house and climbed back up into my room. And I was proud. I said, she needs to know what I almost did. <laughs> so I went out there and said, listen, this is how I thought it was going to play out. I thought it was going to play out that I was going to tell her that I was done and I was tired and I was leaving. I wasn't dealing with this anymore. And she was going to break down and cry. She was going to cry, I can't lose my baby boy. So I saw all this playing out. Turns out, when I arrogantly went out there and said, listen, I left and I almost left for good, but you're lucky I came back. <laughs> Turns out I get in far more trouble for than sneaking out the window and how could I dare mess up the front of her house? It didn't work out the way I thought and while we laugh at that, our friends and family members do the same thing to the Lord and the church and we just watch them do it. Well, I know better. I'm leaving. I'm gone. I'll figure it out to which we go. Where are you going? You, what are you doing? You see, rather than running away when things get difficult, we may want to take a good, hard look at our lives instead. Perhaps we realize that, thank goodness, thank goodness at 11, I figured out that there wasn't better anything better out there. Perhaps we need to do the same. You see, this is what we see from Peter in John chapter 6. Jesus is teaching some ridiculously hard things. And they didn't understand it. I mean, he just said some stuff. They were like, this is too hard to understand. This is too hard to deal with. And it says in John chapter 6 that his disciples left. Not all of them, but his disciples. It actually says the word disciples walked away. Like, we, we can't. This is too hard to understand. And then Jesus, in, in all his sensitivity, looked at Peter and said, you want to go too? You got to read Jesus sometimes. He's, he's kind of rough. He says, you want to go too? And Peter, you remember what he said? He said, Lord, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. He said, yeah, I don't like what you're saying. Yeah, this is hard to understand. Yeah, it's hard to grasp. I mean, this is difficult. He said, but where am I going to go? What other options do I have? see, rather than trying to get out of our hardships, rather than trying to get out of the difficulties and the pain, perhaps the first thing we can do is deal with ourselves. Ask ourselves a question. We'll get to there in a minute. But look at what he says in verse 7. He says, endure hardships as discipline. We're like, nope. Give me some other advice. I'm good. What's, 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 what's option number two? He said, no, no, this is what you have to look at. The hardships in life, look at them as discipline in your life. And hardships can be anything, and we all face them. But look at them and deal with them as discipline that God is training you, he's instructing you, and he's correcting you. And what if we saw that pain and suffering going on in our lives and understood that God is dealing with us? He's working on us. And now your first reaction may be like mine. Well, I don't need discipline. I thought the same thing when I was 11, didn't you? But now that I'm a grown-up, I realize that perhaps, perhaps I do. 
You see, we look at discipline as transactional. We look at it as like this. I do something wrong and I get in trouble when I get caught. Not when I do something wrong. Isn't that right? You don't get in trouble if you don't get caught. Isn't that the whole goal? You always hit things from your parents. You almost not have had a childhood like me at all. That's what I'm understanding. Or your parents are here and you're just still pretending that you had everything right. Yeah, you only get in trouble when you get caught. You don't get in trouble if you don't get caught. But you see the Lord, he don't have to catch you. He already knows. See, last week my kids went to a birthday party and it was one of those where they said, hey, you just leave your kids and, and, and you and Jess can go spend some time or you can stay. We were like, yeah, we choose the first one. We're definitely gonna drop our kids off and, and we're gonna go. And, and we came back and picked them up. And again, I have two boys and a girl. The girl's perfect. She never does anything wrong, never has. But the two boys, they're horrible. And so we dropped them off and, and we, the parents said, oh, they, they did good. And I was like, mm-hmm, they're being polite. So I got the kids in the car and I said, well, I was told, I was told that one of y'all got in a lot of trouble. I was fishing. Right, I was just fishing, trying to set them up because usually they tell on each other instantly. Especially Troy's like, oh, I was Danielle. I'm like, it's impossible, Troy. Daniela does nothing wrong. We already know that. She couldn't have done it. But this time, they didn't tell on anybody. They said, Dad, we don't know. And I was like, well, what do you mean? This is weird. Like they were, and I was like, I am so proud of y'all. Y'all were actually good. I was like, man, I am proud of you. I'm happy for y'all. Like they didn't actually say that. And I was so excited. And then Tyler speaks up, my five-year-old. He said, Dad, you said our family rule is not to lie. And you just lied to us. <laughs> and so my proud moment, I shrunk down. And I said, man, this is a bad dad moment. What do I do? And so I lied. And I said, son, that isn't a lie. Okay, that's really, I'm, I don't know how to be a good parent. I'm figuring out, I was like, that's not a lie. I was joking. Like, I, that doesn't count. When I do it, it doesn't count. Uh, forgive me for that. But you see, God doesn't have to fish for what we've done. All those things you tell everybody else that your motives were good and you were good, he knows your heart and knows you're lying. Even if you never get caught and nobody finds out, he sees in here. All those good things you did and everybody's like, well, how awesome they are, he knows it's for your own glory and that you were promoting you, he's gonna deal with that. See, he doesn't have to catch you. He already knows. Divine discipline. Don't look at it as transactional, like, well, if I get caught. Look at it as relational. Look at what he says. He says, endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what? Children are not disciplined by their father. He says, look, parents discipline their kids. We want to raise our kids to be good, functioning members of society. And there's nothing worse than a spoiled, temper-tantrum-throwing adult, is there? When you're three, does it bother you? You're like, oh, it's cute. When you're 30, it's like, all right, somebody should have got the orange spatula out for you. You weren't taught well, right? God disciplines us. He deals with us. It's a parent's job to make sure their kids are functioning adult. Remember that, parents. It's not your job to make sure your kids like you. It's your job to raise them and train them. And that's a mark that your parents actually care for you. And then he says this in verse eight. He says, if you are not disciplined, and excuse me, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate and not true sons and daughters at all. 
says, well, if your parents don't discipline, you're not really their child because every parent will naturally discipline their child. Best point is we were in Target not that long ago and we saw this child and we were watching him with his mother and we just looked at each other and we were like, I cannot believe he's talking to her that way. I mean, he's like 12 and throwing temper tantrums and yelling and, and guess how much I wanted to discipline that kid. I didn't because he wasn't my kid. We just looked and was like, I'm glad that's not us. Come on now, you know y'all feel the same way. You look at that and you're like, I'm glad I'm not dealing with that. We wanted to get away from it because it was very aggravating. But I didn't want to spank them. I didn't want to send it to the room. I didn't want to have to deal with that. I said, nope, it's not my child. If you're a child of God, understand he's going to discipline you because we are legitimate children of God through Jesus Christ. So we should expect God to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us. And while we may not like it, we have to understand it proves that he loves us. Just like when you were a child or when you have children, you discipline them because you love them. And perhaps this explains why bad people get away with so much. There will be divine judgment, which is going to look very different than a father dealing with his child. He says, verse 9, he says, moreover, moreover, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit? How many of us like that word? Hey, none of us do, right? Submit to the Father of spirits and live. They discipline us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. You see, we are supposed to submit. And as we get older, we actually respect our parents and we thank our parents for disciplining us, for teaching us worth it ethic for teaching us there's good and wrong for teaching us we we thank them later when we see the benefits when we become good functioning adults and that works out in our favor we look back and go man i'm so glad my parents did this and we need to understand that god's doing the same thing except he's not trying to just have you be a good functioning adult he's trying to teach you to be holy He's trying to show you, and we'll find out why he wants you to be holy next week. But God does this to us individually and corporately. In John chapter 15, Jesus talks about being pruned. Y'all heard of that before? Peter talks about being refined by fire. None of the stuff we want, but all of the stuff we need so we can be healthy, so we can be holy. He disciplines us. He corrects us individually and corporately as a body. The only time God is not going to do this is when we've reached perfection. Until then, we expect and understand that hardships, difficulty, suffering, it doesn't explain everything about it, but it does explain that we can get something from it. Look at verse 11. He says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. He got the orange spatula too is what I think is going on there. All right, pleasant time, but it's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. He says the discipline is going to produce something in you. Righteousness, peace. He says, strengthen your feeble arms, weak knees. That's exhaustion. That's tired. That's being worn out. He says, no, be encouraged. That God is doing something in you and through you. Keep your eyes on Christ. 
Keep your eyes on him and his example. Remember like we learned about last week, and God will richly reward you for your faithfulness. That's what we learned today is that God will discipline us. I bet you knew that. doesn't mean we like it. While, in that, while it doesn't answer everything we want to know about hardships and suffering, it's one of the things we do see happens that he trains us. And so when we experience suffering, when we experience hardships, when we experience those difficulties in life, rather than asking, how can I get out of it? Because that's the first question we ask. How can I medicate this? How can I run from this? How can I get out of this? I don't want this. I don't want to experience it. I don't want to deal with it. Instead of running from it, instead of saying, how can I get out of it? What if we ask this? What can I get out of this? Instead of how can I get out of it, we say, what Can I get out of this? Where am I not trusting God? Where am I not worshiping or giving my life to him? Where am I wrong? I mean, we talk about this all the time. Human beings, we don't like change. We're adverse to change. And a lot of times we get upset and we have pain and we're dealing with all this stuff going on in here just because we don't want something to change. We want it to be how it used to be. But there's a difference between not liking something and something being a sin. Do we understand that? My personal preference, if I don't like something, doesn't make it a sin. Sin is very different. So sometimes God correcting us in that internal struggle, we just need to admit, I'm wrong here. The way I'm thinking about this or the way I'm dealing with this, I'm just, I'm just wrong. Ask, where do I need to grow? What can I learn? What if when those struggles and that suffering and those hard times were happening in life, what if we took a good hard look in here before we started looking out there? See, because God desires me to be holy and peaceful. If something's going on in my life, has he disciplined me? What's he working on in me and through me? Can you imagine for a minute if we did this? Can you imagine for a minute if everybody at work, when they got, when somebody said, hey, you need to correct this, you need to fix this, rather than talking bad about their supervisor, rather than complaining about what everybody else isn't doing, and that our reaction, well, so-and-so came in late too. What's that have to do with you? Right, not, we know this, but what if we just looked in here and go, you know what? I do need to work on that. I do need to deal with it. Let me, let me look in here. Imagine that next time you got in a fight with your spouse before you go putting it on Facebook? But what if you did look in here and go, you know what? I, I didn't say kind things. I, I, I just didn't love. I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't respect the way I should. We want to complain about what our spouse did, don't we? Come on, I know y'all aren't perfect there. Come on now. But rather than complaining about what they do, when was the last time you first looked at in the pain or suffering of your marriage and the difficulties? When was the last time you looked at what you're doing? What's going on in here? That's hard, isn't it? That's tough. That makes us deal with us first. What if we stopped looking at others and just focused on us? What if we said, what can I get out of this? What is God teaching me here? Because I'm telling you, it's absolutely amazing of what God can do through you if you first look at you. Because if my eyes are on Jesus and I'm watching his perfect example and I'm comparing myself to him, 
I'm going to fall short every time. Now, I want to compare myself to you guys. Why? Because I might find one or two areas that I'm better. But the Bible doesn't tell us to do that. Compare yourself to Jesus. So if I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus, if I'm looking at his perfect example, and I'm looking at his perfect example of suffering, and I'm watching how he gets through that, and I'm watching how God does something in that, in the triumph of the cross, if I'm focused on my relationship with him, I don't have time to worry about you. I don't have time to worry about what you're doing or what my spouse is doing or my kids are doing. i got to look at me. So a lot of times that pain and that difficulty and that suffering, God is disciplining and working on us. And as we laughed at my example at the beginning about how I came into class with my own agenda, the truth is we are just humans who come into this world and we think our agenda goes. And we laughed at how dare I could tell my teacher, it's her classroom, well, this is God's world. But yet we come in with our agendas and our ways and the things we think, and he's looking down going, no, we're not going to do that. So he corrects us and disciplines and trains us for the purpose of holiness, which again, we'll see why next week. So instead of asking how, can I get out of it? What if you asked? What if we asked? What can I get out of it? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you so much for your word. Lord, while none of us want to be disciplined, we all know we fall short. We all know we're not perfect. We don't. We don't do everything we're supposed to do, Lord. We don't even do everything we want to do. Father, thank you for your grace that forgives us. Thank you for your grace that you choose to use us, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done. Lord, we thank you, and so we cherish that grace, but we also understand that we need to grow. We need to be disciplined. We need to triumph. So, Lord... We ask you to show us in our lives where you're working and where you're moving. And Lord, I just pray that we all submit that to you this morning. That we submit to your will and your way. And perhaps we just start taking an internal look rather than an external look. Lord, I pray that that suffering and that hardship and those things that we're going on, Lord, while, while we don't know why it happens, we don't understand everything that goes on and you don't tell us. But we do understand that in these seasons of and of hardships and suffering and pain, what we see is that you can do something in our lives. So let us, Lord, let us grab onto that and let us just look inside at what you're trying to do through us and what you want to do in us. Clinging on to Romans 8, 28, that all things, that you're working all things for the good of those who love you and been called according to your purposes. So we cling to that, we trust you, and we thank you so much for the precious name of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.